Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. So in Scripture, we're continually told there are two ways to live. God's way and your own way. And one of the main ways the Bible helps us understand what these two lives are like is to liken our life to a tree. And so there's two types of trees, and Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 both have two types of trees. And so they use the metaphor of a tree to basically say the quality of your life is determined by where you put your roots. That's the big idea. The quality of your life is determined by where you put your roots. So Jesus, years later, would pick up on this idea. Oh, and a tree, uh, I should say, has three things, doesn't it? It has the, fr- the fruit, it has the tree itself, the, you know, the actual trunk, I should say, and then the roots. Now, two of those things are, um, uh, are, are changeable. The roots change uh, and, the, and, and the fruit changes. But the actual tree doesn't. And so there's something that's set, which is you, you're the tree. Then you have the roots, which is where you're finding your nourishment, your heart. And then you have the fruit of your life. And I'll unpack that more uh, as we go through. But Jesus said this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For a mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So Jesus, again, comes back to this idea of a tree. Now, the heart in Scripture is not the seat of the emotions where the mind might be the seat of reason. That's a modern idea. In the Scriptures, the heart is the place of your deepest trusts, your deepest commitments, your deepest love, and everything flows from it. So what your heart most loves and trusts, the mind will find reasonable, the emotions desirable, and the will will find doable. So the heart is the seat of who you are. It's everything that makes you up your deepest desires. So, the, the root and the, and the fruit are inextricably linked and, and, and are dependent on one another. Well, the fruit is dependent on the root. But the tree is you. That's your life. That's fixed. So I want us to think about this and think, well, there's two lives on offer from these, from these, from these passages. There's a life of freedom and a life of worry. There's a life of rest and a life of striving. There's a life of stability and a life of instability. There's a life of fruitfulness and a life of withering. So follow along with me. Let's talk about the tree of rest and freedom. It starts like this. What are the roots? What is the heart of this person? Well, first of all, we see that they avoid the wrong company. Do you see that in Psalm? It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seats of mockers. So this person is careful who their best friends are. Because as the famous phrase goes, show me your friends and I will tell you who you are. Our friends shape us. They form our worldview. Our friends dictate to us what is important in life. Our friends mold us. And you see there's a downward spiral implied in these verses. You start off walking, then you end up sitting. Uh, Sorry, you start off walking, then you end up standing, and then you end up sitting. So walking to stand to sit. Do you see that in verse 1? In other words, a life uh, where you prioritize your, uh, you choose the wrong company of friends 
ends up with a stationary life. That's what sin does. Sin makes us stationary. Sin means we're self-centered and everyone should revolve around us. We're the center of attention. We're sitting and everyone needs to do and life needs to do what we expect it to do because we're at the center and we're stationary. It's, very, it's the very opposite of the life of God, a life of service, like a dance where we put the other person at the center and we're revolving around them. The life of God is movement and dance and passion and service. So a sinful life a stationary, is a stationary life. It's the selfie culture. It's the Instagram culture. I'm the center of this picture and I'm trying to impress my friends with where I am and who I'm with and what I'm doing. And it creates FOMO, fear of missing out for others. That's our modern culture. It's just, I'm the center, everyone look at me. But it paralyzes us actually, and we know it. It makes us stationary. Whereas the selfless life is where we put others in the center and it's movement and it's, and it's energized by God. So the blessed person does not get dragged down by bad advice and bad company, which leaves them sitting with mockers. They avoid that path and instead, do you see the next verse? But who's a person whose source of truth and joy is God's word, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and, on his, and, on, and who meditates on his Lord day and night. Notice, it doesn't say studying the Bible. Studying has a sense of, I'm here to master it as quickly as I can. Meditation says, I'm here to slow down and enjoy it. That's why it says, who delights. When you delight in something, you take your time like a great pint of Guinness. I'm going to slow down and like a beautiful view. Liad and I were just on sabbatical. We're very fortunate we got to go to Yosemite National Park. You don't try and master it. You take it in with joy as slowly as you dare because it's beautiful. And so when it comes to the scriptures, the aim is not a study to master and an efficiency. It is a slowing down to take it in so that it forms me and molds me. It delights me. Now, it's not less than studying. We must study it, but it is much more. I can know, here's an example, I can know intellectually that honey is sweet from its comp, you know, the composition of its, uh, of its chemicals. Or I can put it on a big piece of toast with butter and I can enjoy it and know it's sweet in a different way. Which way do you know the word of God? Like honey, our composition means it's sweet or because you've taken a big mouthful. The blessed life is a life drenched, saturated, pulsating, devouring, enjoying, salivating, delighting it says over the word of God so that the word along with the company we keep molds us and forms us. Jeremiah, if you want to flip over, in verse 7, then goes on to talk about one other feature of where this person's roots are. A person who trusts and relies on God, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence, notice that word, confidence is in the Lord. This life is centered on God. God is our hope. God is our future. God is our confidence. God is our center. God is the center of dreams, ambitions, and plans, and decisions. Our confidence is in Him. Now, let me ask you some questions. Over the last six months, what has molded you? What has formed you? Who have you spent time with? Or maybe better, we have to be honest, who do we find we want to please? Do you think of God's word as something to study and master or something to meditate on and delight? Are you becoming more static 
or more energized? Which life have you started to live or are you living? Because look at the fruits. The basic fruit is a, is a contrast between a stationary life that's sitting in the seat of Marcus and an energized life that's been pushed out by God. So let's look at this fruit. That's the roots. The th- the, that's where our heart is uh, on the tree of rest and freedom, avoiding the wrong company, the source of truth enjoys God's word, and he trusts and relies in God. What about the fruit? Well, it talks about a fruitful life. So verse, back over, uh, 1-3, verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water who yields its fruit in season. There's fruitfulness. We have found water. We're a tree. We send down our roots, and what did we find? Water in the word of God and in the right company. And as we put our confidence in him, we found nourishment. And that fed into us, and we got the nutrients and the life. What does water symbolize in Scripture? The Holy Spirit. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes me, as the Scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. John says, by this he meant the Holy Spirit. John chapter 4, a woman is at a well. Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The water is the Holy Spirit, the life, the presence, the power of God coming into our lives because we put our roots down in the stream and the life of God by the Holy Spirit came into our life as we delighted in his word, as we hang around with people who were good people to mold us as our confidence was in God. A fruitful life, but a life that avoids withering. Do you see that, the second part of verse 3? And whose leaf does not wither. A person who has their roots down deep in the stream is always green. They always find water. And if you're a tree and you can always find water, you'll always be green. But not only that, whatever they do prospers. Look at the second bit, the, the third bit of that verse. The person not only survives, they don't wither, they prosper. Now, life will not always be easy. Psalm 2, the next psalm is going to say, why do the nations rage against God's people? Psalm 42, he's going to go, why is my soul so downcast? Psalm 46, he goes, why are mountains falling into the heart of the sea? Psalm 62, he's going to go, why are people assaulting me? Prosperity doesn't mean ease. But even as the nations rage, even as the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, even as people assault me, my roots are in the water. I'm staying green. I'm bearing fruit in my inner person. And the final fruit here, as two more, sorry, one other fruit, is a life that's protected by God. Look at the verse 6. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. You see, the blessed life with roots in God knows that God is watching over us. We're protected. He will not let us be tempted or suffer beyond what we can bear. And even if the worst should happen, he's watching over us. And he knows what he's doing. And Jeremiah puts it more powerfully, I think, than than it. Just it's so powerful. This life, this fruitful life. Again, flick back over. He talks about a life without fear or worry. 17 verse 8. They will be like a tree planted by the water. You see, he has Psalm 1 in mind. It's the same. That sends out its roots by the stream. But then listen. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. That's Psalm 1. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. That's Psalm 1. Do you see the two lines he adds in? 
It does not fear. When heat comes, it has no worries in a year of drought. That's what Jeremiah adds to Psalm 1. This is the life that God invites us to, a life without fear and worry. Is this the life you're living? A fruitful life, a life that avoids withering, always prosperous, a life protected by God, a life without fear and worry. Remember, where your roots are will determine what fruit you have in your life. So let's look at the other tree. I'm going to call this the tree of striving and fear. And let's start again with the roots. We're going to start in Jeremiah, so keep the page where it is. Verse 5. What is the root? Where is the heart? Where is the nourishment of this other tree? Cursed is the one who trusts in man. The other life is where you're trying to please people. A man pleaser. We've already seen this life. It's the stationary life. It's being molded by the people that you want to be liked by. It's how we try and win approval. It's the selfie culture, the Instagram culture. And we end up sitting in the seat of mockers, just mocking people, you know? We're back to Psalm 1 in the wrong company. But Jeremiah goes on and says, no, 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 there's more than that. Whose strength, who draws strength from mere flesh? Self-reliant. Instead of drawing our confidences in God and we're finding strength from the streams of water, no, we're finding strength from ourselves. This is a life of striving, trying to prove yourself, proving to the world that you can do it. You're strong enough. Yeah, Isaiah says you can have that. Uh, Jeremiah says you can have that life. But it's not the blessed life. You're relying on yourself. And so because you're relying on yourself, he goes on to say in the, in the, in the third part of verse 5, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Instead of seeking God in prayer and asking for strength, you try to forge your own path. I can do this. And you know within you if you're doing that because a slight rebellious spirit that says, I'm not going to submit to God and admit I can't. You know, the Christian life starts when you say, I can't. And God says, I can. But if you have a spirit that says, no, I'm reliant on self, well, you're turning away from God. And again, what is the fruit then of this tree? If that's where the roots are, if that's where the person's heart is, a people please, a self-reliant, turning from God, what is the fruit? Well, the first thing Psalm 1 says, flick back over. I'm, putting, I'm using the two to help us give us these two trees. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. This is a life that is rootless and unstable. This person is like the double-minded person of James chapter 1, verse 8, who's tossed to and fro, never settles down, never make good decisions, struggles to survive the storms in life. They're like chaff. Chaff doesn't have its roots in the water. Chaff is just blown away by wind. Emotionally up and down. Decisions. One minute you're doing this, one minute you're doing this. It's just it's an instability. Our, you know, our culture now, because of communications and, and because of the transient way we live, we are a rootless people. Who are we? Where are our roots? We don't know. That was the life Jeremiah painted two, 3,000 years ago. Then it's a life, the next bit of fruit, that is exposed and judged. Terrifying. End of Psalm 1, verse 5. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. There's an exposure of this life eventually. In the end, this person tried to gain the whole world and yet lost their soul. Do you remember Jesus said that? They tried to save their life, but in the end, they lost their life. Why? Look at verse 6. End of verse 6 of that Psalm 1. 
The way of the wicked leads to destruction. A life centered on self, a life pleasing people, spending time with the wrong people, a life dependent on your own strength rather than the spirit of God in the end leads to destruction. What does that self-destruction look like? I'm sorry to keep making you do this. Flick over. Jeremiah 17, 6. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. It's an isolated life. No one else is with you. You have no real friends. No real depth to your relationship. Why not? Because you spent your whole life trying to please people. And you cannot end up with meaningful community if you're trying to please people. Because you'll never be authentic. You'll never be broken. You'll never let people in. You'll never be honest and humble because you're trying to please them. So you're like a bush in the wasteland. And then the next bit, they will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. They will not see prosperity when it comes. It's interesting, isn't it? The irony is the person who tried to save their life lost it. And the person that loses their life saves it. Isn't that often the case? You're so fear of missing out. You're so worried what everyone else is doing. You're so trying to, you can't see the blessings in front of your eyes. What is God doing right? I can't even see this amazing blessing. I'm missing the opportunity because, well, what about this? And what about that? And what do they think? And what about the. F-? And we miss the opportunity that comes, a life of missed opportunities. And then he goes on and talks about a thirsty life at the end of verse 6. They will dwell, I've already read it, they will dwell in the parched places. This person is never satisfied. The woman at the well who tried to run after, run after, thought satisfaction was found in men and sexual intimacy with men and ends up thirsty after having five husbands and now living with someone that's not her husband. Trying to find living, where can I put my roots? Where can I really get nourishment? But they don't find living water, they find salt water. And the more you drink of salt water, the more likely you are to die. Always restless, always searching, always Thirsty, never satisfied, fear of missing out, fear of people, alone, isolated, thirsty, self-destruction, like a bush in a wasteland, not like a tree planted by streams of water. So, there's two lives on offer. There's two trees. There's two sets of roots. And there's two sets of fruit. Remember, one of the, thi- the three things is set. You, the tree. Two of the three, two, the three things is not set, the root and the fruit, but they are inextricably linked. I want you to think a bit more on this. Firstly, both trees are trying to set down their roots in water. They're trying to find water. Both trees are going to go, where can I find value? Where can I find nourishment? Where can I find all my hope? Both trees are doing it. It's a metaphor for where we place our heart. And secondly, both trees get heat and wind. What is heat and wind? Suffering. And so in life, we get heat, drought. Nothing seems to go right. It's all dried up. Heat, pressure, intensity. And wind, storms. It's not that nothing seems to go right. It's that everything goes wrong. More pressure, more intensities. Both trees, both lives get suffering. They get heat and wind. And the suffering is the moment where you find out where your roots are. Did they find water that keeps you stable? Or are you like chaff that goes? C.S. Lewis likens suffering to rats in the cellar, believe it or not. He has a very powerful way of putting it. He says this, 
When I come to my evening prayers and try to reckon up the sins of the day, nine times out of ten, the most obvious one is some sin against charity. I have sulked or snapped or sneered or snubbed or stormed. And the excuse that immediately springs to mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off guard. I had not time to collect myself. Now, that may be an extenuating circumstance as regards those particular acts. They would obviously be worse if they'd been deliberate and premeditated. On the other hand, surely what a man does when he's taken off his guard is the best evidence of what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out of a man, uh, pops out before the man has time to put on the disguise is the truth. And here's where the rats come in. He goes on, if there are rats in the cellar, you're most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation, the heat, the wind, does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me, an shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. The rats are always there in the cellar, but if you go in shouting and noisily, they'll have time to take cover before you switch the light on. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see someone? Do you see Jeremiah 17 relying on someone, filling it out for us? There's two trees. One has roots that are so deep, they found water that's living. And when it's really, really hot, they're still able to get what they need to stay green and fruitful. They're always prospering. There's always nourishment. One has roots so deep that no matter how intense that wind that is coming, no matter what the storm, it bends, but it's not chaff. It bends back because the roots are so deep. But the other tree that didn't put its roots down in God, that was a people pleaser, hang out with the wrong company, did not delight in the word of God, was striving after doing it by their own strength, that turned away from God, when the heat comes, it has no roots, and it is blown away like chaff. Exposed and judged for what they really are, as C.S. Lewis says, as Psalm 1 says, you're revealed. And so it is suffering where you find out where your heart is. Are you relying on God or self? Are you delighting in the word or people's opinions? And fear is the most important marker, symptom you can know if you have your heart in the right place. Jesus said that, in, I read it this morning, I was reading through Luke's gospel, and he says, you know, do not worry. And he says, if you do worry, it's because you haven't understood where your heavenly father is and you're consumed with the things of this life. Fear is the great barometer of faith. So another psalm that I love puts it so well. Blessed, it's, it's again, it's building on this pattern of a blessed life. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, not people. And, like Psalm 1, find great delight in his commands. It goes on and it says, Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They'll be, uh, they will be remembered forever. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are trusting the Lord. Their hearts are secure. They'll have no fear. In the end, they will look in triumph on their foes. The one who fears the Lord, delights in their, his commands, is not exempt from bad news, but does not fear bad news. The heat and the wind comes. The bad news still comes to everyone, but they're not fearing it the whole time. They have, what does he say? My heart is steadfast. My heart is secure. So when we think about our lives, when we find fear is creeping in, it's revealing your roots need to go deeper into God. Your identity needs to go deeper into God. You're, you need to go more into his love and his word. Fear is revealing 
the heart. What do you fear? I know what I fear. Do you fear failure? Do you fear the future? Do you fear never finding a life partner? Do you fear loneliness? Do you fear financial uncertainty? Do you fear being left behind? Do you fear that your life is going to account to nothing and you're going to be seen as mediocre? Do you fear someone you know leaving town? Do you fear sickness? The life God offers means you don't have to fear these things. It doesn't mean they won't happen, but you, you find a security in God that if they do happen, I don't have to fear. How is this possible? Well, when God is your confidence, when he is everything and he can never be taken away, ultimately your heart never has to fear. He gives you a rest, an equilibrium, a stability, a joy. By the way, I've hinted at it already by referring to Psalm 2, 42 and 62. The Psalms themselves, the book of Psalms, are themselves God's gift to help us find living water when we want to fear. They are the means of finding the water. You want to be that person who has deep roots, the Psalms are there for you to pray. Lord, I want to shout at you. Well, the Psalm says shout at him and you will find water as you do. Lord, I'm fearful. Well, express that fear and you will find water as you do. The Psalms give you the words to pray when all those storms and all that heat comes. They are grooves to run down so you don't end up stagnant, but you end up energized by the life of God. So another question. It's a key question. It's hard to answer, but what is that news that you so fear? It's not that you want it. It's not that it's not going to be bad, but you, the sting can be taken from it when your life has roots in God. It'll still be tough. It'll still be turmoil. There'll still be heat. It'll still feel like a drought in one sense, but the sting will go. God doesn't promise it won't happen. Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, Psalm 112, don't promise that they won't happen, but your heart will be steadfast. So let me wrap this up. What is the fruit in your life that is revealing where you have your roots, your heart? For me, I'm most tempted to put my roots down in two things. Achievement, proving my worth through my performance, and control, getting my own way. Do you know where your roots are tempted to put them? What is the fruit of my life when I do that? I compare myself to others, I have unrealistic expectations of others. I overwork. I lack joy. And as I was expressing earlier, I don't see the blessings right in front of my eyes. And yet when my joy is in God and his word, when I'm encouraged by you, my brothers and sisters, when I'm relying on him in prayer, oh, the lightness of life. You feel like you could conquer anything. It's not that you can, but you just have this, well, if God is my confidence... If he's for me, who can be against me? There's a joy. There's, you, know, you just go through life without fear and worry. It's not that it won't happen, but you don't fear it. You don't live as if the what ifs. I read this morning again, Luke 12, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to their life? There it is. It's not that it won't happen, but who, what's the point of worrying? Jesus invites us to a life without worrying. What about you? Where are your roots? Where's the fruit? What is being revealed by the heat? and the wind. To finish, I want us to think about another tree. Remember Jesus? I am the true vine. He's the fulfillment of Psalm 1. He's the fulfillment of what Israel and what we are supposed to be. His life was rooted in God. 
He always orientated around others. He was fruitful and green to the end. Do you remember the storms and the heat that came to him? And on the cross, how does that, fr- how does that greenness reveal itself on the cross? Father, forgive them. His circumstances are horrendous, but his inner life is beautiful. And what else did he cry out on the cross? John 19, he says, I thirst. For one time in all eternity, Jesus was cut off from the living water. So you and I could be grafted into the vine. I mean, forever we'd always have our roots deep in him. He experienced a cosmic thirst because of all our lack of fruitfulness, for all our turning away from God. He experienced the justice of God. He experienced that heat, that exposure, that shame of being, but it wasn't for him, it was for us. So we could be grafted into the true vine and know a stability and a fruitfulness in God through repentance and faith. And the Holy Spirit could be given us as Jesus promised the woman at the well. And remember what he says in John 15? The Father loves to prune. What's pruning? It's suffering. It's heat. It's wind. He loves to use that. Why? Well, it's not pleasant at the time, but it brings fruitfulness later. So you do not need to fear bad news for two reasons. One, the worst news you could ever hear, that you have been judged and exposed as a fraud by God, that's been dealt with at the cross. So you don't have to fear because the greatest news you could fear has been taken away. There's now good news. But secondly, even in the suffering and the heat and the wind, the Father is pruning you to make you more like that beautiful, stable tree. So John 15 puts it like this. I am the vine. I'm Psalm 1, Jesus is saying. We all failed. None of us did it. He says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. So the question is, where do you put your roots? Please don't go away from here and go, I must try harder to be a Christian. I must give myself a spiritual to-do list. I must try harder to live for Jesus. John 15, I heard this on my sabbatical, says you don't live for Jesus, you live in Jesus. Isn't that helpful? You live in him, not for him. John 15 says you're in him. Think of a tree in water. We can't make the water. The water has nothing to do with us, but we can determine if we try and put down our roots in it. Or think of it as a wind in the sails of a boat. We cannot control the wind. Jesus says, yeah, the spirit, you can't control it. It's like the wind. He blows where he wants to blow, but we can choose to put up our sails and let him fill them. This is God's work, not ours. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But will you accept the invitation Say, Lord, I want to put my heart in you today. I want to repent of all those things I keep putting my heart in, and I want to put them in you and know the life of fruitfulness, stability, a life free from fear, a life that's not stagnant, but a life that is serving others, where I lose my life and yet I somehow find it. Mm